following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 892 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, talented, and indeed scholarly, Brittany Page. Well, I think everyone needs an update because last time we talked about how you were preparing for your cancer, check up your colonoscopy, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. your endoscopy. No, no, endoscopy. Endoscopy. <laughs> And I'm glad you said it wrong first because then it steers me in the correct direction. And I, I don't think you've actually posted an update or have you talked about an update? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's good news. We should just get that out yeah. of the way. We're not trying to <laughs> create some sort of situation where you are continuing to tune in, waiting for the answer so we can place an ad or something. You, It's good news, and that's probably why you didn't hear anything. But This episode brought to you by uh, Being Cancer Free. But it's uh, it's your healthcare, so why don't you share about the update? Cancer free. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no polyps, uh, clear, all the way clear, totally clear, clear. So... Uh, another in six months, I think I'll do blood work. They'll have me do blood work, not like I decide. Uh, I'll do blood work, and then in another year from now, another set of colonoscopy and endoscopy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, no cancer. I was a little nervous going in. Yeah, which isn't really my style. Not like I choose a style, but usually I'm just like, yeah, it's, things are going to be great. It'd be fine. It'd mm-hmm. be perfect. Mm-hmm. But because what happened last time? Did we talk about this last time on the show? We did. Okay. Well, same thing. If you if you if you want to hear what I was getting ready to say, <laughs> go back and listen to the intro of episode eight hundred ninety one, and you will hear that. Yeah, it, everything's good. Very positive. I'm very happy. Very good news. Uh, the the staff is just they're so great. They really are. It's it's professional. They're caring. They remembered me from last time. I mean, think about uh, the hundreds of patients that they see in a year, maybe thousands of patients they see in a year, and they were like, oh, you you shaved the beard. I mean, it was, it made me feel good. So. Did they take a picture of you to put in the system before you... Sorry, I'm a little less like optimistic, like, oh, they remembered me. I'm going to assume they like checked the chart, they Well, they wouldn't have like a photo of the day. They would have like... Like the image from that's uploaded to the to the the Kaiser system that I uploaded, which is like my my profile picture on Twitter. Well, I don't know. Maybe they put in their notes has beard, uh, has beard, <laughs> bearded fellow. Oh no, no, it wasn't that I shaved my beard. It was that my beard was way longer. Yeah, huh. maybe you're right. Maybe I'm uh, just not rememberable. <laughs> <laughs> well. We're all happy that you are healthy and cancer-free and not even a polyp. Very exciting stuff. Good job. Yeah, yeah. And also good job to your surgeon who apparently took care of biz and got all of the bad stuff out so that nothing would come back. That's great. Um, And again, we'll just finish with this. If you have not gotten tested, if you have any cause for concern, it's so easy. Just schedule a colonoscopy, have them look. 
they put me to bed, put me to sleep. I woke up. Everything's great. Very easy. Mm-hmm. Very easy. And it could save your life like it saved mine. Yes. Very important. Easy as that. So we have a few housekeeping items that we want to get to first. There's no debate episode again. We, (laughs) for as long as the show has been a thing, have done debate episodes after every debate. But here's what's happening. There's no point. There's no point in covering the debate at length. Uh, Normally we do like an hour on the debate and we go through the questions and what the different candidates said and, and who did the best, who did the worst. And they are... All nightmares. They're all dangerous, particularly Vivek yeah. Ramaswamy. And so there's really just no point in in wasting anyone's time talking about it. I will say this, though. There is something that's happening, and I would have you watch for it. Bookmark this item in your mind, or however you do it. They're starting to, beginning to, we're seeing the the first stages of each one of these maniacs softening their position on abortion. What they say publicly, not how they feel and how they're actually going to govern, but they've witnessed what's taken place in these elections. They know that it's a a touch point. It, it is a, a soft spot for voters that the vast majority of Americans support abortion rights. And now they're starting to modulate a little bit not because that's what they actually believe, but because they want to trick everyone, get elected, and then do the thing they want to do in the first place. Well, except for Tim Scott. <laughs> except for Tim Scott, who really, I mean, it was... He the, might as well have been given a sermon the whole fucking time. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what day it was, but I think it was the day after the election. So they should right. they should have received this message about abortion. And he was like, no, we are going to call for a 15-week federal abortion ban. And the the question being, well, hey, did you just see what happened yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> With all the elections where they focused on banning abortion. Did you see how that how that went for Republicans? And apparently Tim Scott is like, yeah, I don't care. It's still a good idea. Let's go for it. Also, have you seen my girlfriend? She's great. <laughs> yeah, he did a little <laughs> soft launch of his of his girlfriend. So we also have the end of your Patreon gift coming up. So if you become a Patreon supporter before the end of the year, um, you are a Patreon supporter at the end of the year, you will get the Patreon end of your gift, which we just finalized, put orders in. They are on their way here where we will then start putting them into envelopes and mailing them out. It slash they have been finalized. Yes. And so... Please make sure that your address is updated on Patreon. Please, please, please make sure your mailing address is updated on Patreon. Every year, we get a significant number of returns, not just when we're messing it up because we send a button out that isn't flat. (laughs) I'm talking about because the addresses are incorrect. So please fix your address on Patreon. Make sure it's your correct address or add it in. Just go check it in your account on Patreon. Let me also say this, something unrelated to this is... Please make sure your address is correct in Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Please, please. Even if you think it's correct. Yes. Go back and double check because you know what happens a lot is people write the wrong address. Like they'll, even people write their name incorrectly. I don't don't get that. But just go in, even if you think, oh yeah, it's fine, it's correct. Go check and make sure. And if it's wrong, correct it because we want the gift to get to you. And if it's wrong... It won't. It's the postal people. They're not going to guess. Yeah, I mean, I wish they would. They're not going to Google. 
they have enough on their hands. Yeah. So one last piece of housekeeping. This week I posted a YouTube video on my channel. If you have not subscribed to my YouTube channel, please go subscribe. I'm hoping to get to 30,000 subscribers within the next two weeks or six, something. Six or I seven minutes. Definitely by the end of the year. So please go subscribe if you haven't already. It's just my name. And I, I did a video responding to Jenk Uger and Anna Kasparian, actually, of the Young yeah. Turks. Something that I don't typically do is respond to other creators or other commentators in the space. But I saw a video that they did on homelessness and... Uh, I had to respond to it. So it yeah, is yeah. on my YouTube channel. Please go watch it. And I think we're going to thank the Patreon supporters now. This seems like a good time before we get to voicemails. No better time, in fact. All right. Well, thank you to our new Patreon supporters, Eric D. Eric D. Zachary R. Zachary R. Phoenix Rising 75. Phoenix Rising 75. <laughs> Richard S. Richard S. Mark D. Mark D. Sandra S. Sandra S. Steve C. Steve C. Amy B. Amy B. And a special shout out to Alan W. Alan W., thank you very much with this special shout out. Uh, more than doubled the pledge. Wow. So we always want to give a shout out to the Patreon supporters who are increasing their pledges as well. All those names I just read, you are getting end of your gift. Very exciting. But make you sure. You get a car. You get a car. You get a car. You're not getting a car. Just make sure <laughs> that your your address is updated. Also, I'm seeing additional Patreon supporters that I haven't read. So what was the date of our last show? I don't know. About seven <laughs> days ago. Okay. Well, let's thank these people as well. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, we've been getting... Well, a- what happens is we get a lot of emails. Yeah, we've so- been getting a lot of emails. So it's you have to keep going down and down and down and down. Yes, yes. Thank you to our new Patreon supporters, Sandy D. Sandy D. Deborah MD. Deborah MD. A special shout out to uh, Rusted Ducks Design. Rusted Ducks Design. Uh, this episode brought to you by... No, no, that's not right. Okay. Uh, new Patreon supporter, Catherine F. Catherine F. Alex S. Alex S. Georgia. Georgia. Grandy 28. Grandy 28. Stan M. Stan M. Vinko S. Vinko S. Tina M. Tina M. Gordon H. Gordon H. Valerie B. Valerie, not Bertinelli, but B. Ann M.M. Ann M.M. And Will E. Will E. All right. And Rick L. Rick L. That is a lot of new patrons on Patreon. <laughs> yes. That's a lot of people looking to get the gift, the end of the year Patreon gift. Absolutely. And just a few more. Uh, Jerky J. <laughs> Jerky J is new. I haven't, we haven't said Jerky J. Uh, Mary D. Mary D. Meet, oh, sorry. All things Azroth. <laughs> All things Azroth? <laughs> okay. Del E. Del E. Sally S. Sally S. DJ S. DJ S. Lynn F. Lynn F. Robert K. Robert K. Jennifer R. Jennifer R. Billy B. Billy B. And Grady F. And Brady. Grady. Grady F. F. All right. 
Thank you all so much for your support, helping to move the conversation forward on an episode-by-episode basis, helping produce this content. We could not, we could not, again, we could not do it without you. Go to patreon.com slash Podcast if you are interested in taking part of helping produce this show. Now, let's get to some listener communication uh, as well. I mean, these are, this is also... The, partition, the participation model that we've created with this program. When we started the show almost 10 years ago, almost a decade ago, we immediately instituted taking listener communication. It took a while to get people to call in because, you know, no one listened to the show. No, no, no. It took a while for people who were not our friends to call in. That is correct. Yes. But here we are and we we receive and enjoy receiving listener communication to do what we the the mantra of the show which is to move the conversation forward uh first let's go to ohio hey jesse hey Brittany. greetings from ohio uh it's after midnight i'm sitting on my porch my kids are sleeping inside i should be too but i had to wait and see for some results to come in and i'm just so fucking happy that we did something right in ohio I was so upset to find out that J.D. Vance was my senator last time, and I was stressed all day today that we were going to fuck this up and somehow end up being less progressive than Kansas. Um, And I'm still stressed because I live in a hellscape uh, rural community, but... For now, for today, I just need to I get some sleep, honestly, and just take a minute to be happy that we did something right. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate all you do. Uh, very good news out of Ohio. I, I can imagine, well, I can very much imagine living in a rural community in a wildly conservative uh, state. Um, that's how I grew up. So I, I get you. I feel you. But good news on this front relative to issue one, uh, it passed, much to the chagrin and against the, the the machinations of Republicans who did everything they could do to put a, a wrench into the works. The, the initial ballot initiative to put this on the ballot was back in um, a few months ago, and uh, it was a no vote for that. And then they switched it to a yes vote, and then the language of the the amendment of the of the the, the referendum was very radical, talking about uh, aborting children and like just all of this inaccurate language. Um, and it passed. People worked their way through the propaganda and did the right thing. And now abortion is a constitutional right under the laws of Ohio. Yeah. Very good. The Republicans are actually starting to try to challenge the election results, and we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into what happened in Ohio and the aftermath of Republicans now trying to challenge the uh, outcome of an election, which I know is surprising. We haven't really seen that happen in this country before, but it's happening in Ohio. It's obviously a joke. It's continuing to happen. Yeah. It's getting worse, and it's really scary. But we're going to do a deep dive a little Multiple bit Multiple people, elected officials across the country, like one specifically, a guy in North Dakota who's a state representative, said, just ignore that. Do not follow the law. Do not follow the now amended constitution of the state of Ohio. Like, 
holy shit, they're just, the mask is off. It's absolutely anti-democratic nonsense now. The thing that 65% of voters in Ohio voted for, they're trying to disregard. So in this next, uh, thank you for that voicemail from Anonymous. This next voicemail is kind of breaking the rule that we have on this show, which is that we only play voicemails if they... um, they start their voicemail by greeting both of us. So this one is greeting Jesse, but he does talk about me in it. So I'm like, you know what? Technically, <laughs> it's fine. Um, but this is particularly for you about the Marine Corps birthday and huh. Veterans Day. Yeah. Hey, Jesse. It's Colin from Oregon, a uh, longtime listener. And I really appreciate what you and Brittany do, but I wanted to mention the Marine Corps birthday is coming up, and I would I wanted to ask if, the Marine Corps birthday and Veterans Day, if that means something to you, if that pulls you in a positive or negative direction, I'm curious. You, you keep saying you're a Marine veteran, and I am too. And I'm curious about how you feel about Marine Corps birthday and the and Veterans Day. How do you feel about those things? Thanks. You guys are both the best part. Bye. Mm. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Not a fan of the both of the best part. <laughs> uh, l- let me say this. I, I, well, oh, thank t- you for your service. We should start there. Ugh. So anyway, it's an open question. <laughs> I don't really understand exactly what you mean by how I feel about all of that, uh, Colin. But I will say this. I'm proud to have served in the Marine Corps. I had a great time serving in the Marine Corps. Um, th- the organization itself has done a lot of work. It's not the same Marine Corps I was in. I think it's great. I'm fine. Um, I do sell. I don't celebrate like we don't have a cake or I don't go to an event that's like a Marine Corps birthday party. But you know, I, I have pride for having served in the Marine Corps. Uh, Veterans Day also, you know, that's great. You know, Veterans Day is actually a Armistice Day. It was the it's a celebration of the ending of World War One that got turned into Veterans Day. I also am am fine with that. I'm 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 happy to to be a veteran. I do, as Brittany made the joke coming into the segment about thank you for your service, that always makes me uncomfortable. There was a saying in boot camp that was told to us, and you didn't say thank you to a drill instructor in boot camp because they would quickly correct you. I don't need your fucking thanks. I get thanked on the 1st and the 15th, meaning their paycheck is what they get. That's their thanks. Yeah, it's like a pre-Mad Men because Don Draper, there's that scene that they always point to where Peggy's upset and she's like, you never say thank you. And he's like, that's what the money is for. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I, <laughs> that's a great reference. Um, so I don't need a bunch of thanks or platitudes or, you know, um, I always say fake, but like over the top, pointing out that I'm a veteran. Like I have a giant, it's too big and it's not something I necessarily regret, but I got a big tattoo on the back of my right calf that is the Eagle Globe and Anchor or as a few uh, a former caller and troll called it the Bird Ball and Anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, Classic. And so when I wear shorts, which I wear shorts a lot in public, I'll people will be behind me and they'll say, "Oh, hey, thank you for your service." Or, "Hey, Marine." And I'm like, "How the what?" And then, oh, the tattoo, you know, because I'm not thinking about the tattoo all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm okay with it. It makes me a little uncomfortable because I don't like being a spectacle in public or being made a spectacle, not on my own terms. If I'm going to be a spectacle, it's going to be me who makes myself a spectacle. So I, I, does that answer the question? 
I'm getting vibes that like you don't really care about yeah, yeah. either of the yeah, not really. Things. I mean, I'll post about it and happy birthday, Marines, because there's some brotherhood and camaraderie among uh, people I served with. I think maybe you're just trying to illustrate that it it, it doesn't fully um, your your personality isn't de- contingent upon the fact that you were a marine. Oh like that's, yeah, that's not the main facet of who you are or or what you think about or present yourself as. Yeah, I mean we we've made a joke about it on the show that when the show first started, I would talk about being a marine more than I probably needed to to establish what I've done and what my my resume is or whatever mm-hmm. and then it became a joke where everybody would or you would say at the end of me saying it that jesse was a marine everybody and that caught on for a while but but really i we don't talk about my marine court like almost never in fact you've had co-workers who were former marines like oh what jesse do and you're like i don't know mm-hmm. and they were wildly perplexed by that like what what do you mean you don't know it's, like, mm-hmm. it's not it's not a feature of my personality it's just it really isn't yeah yeah so uh, I don't know, Colin. I would, I would, uh, I wish you would have answered the question too to give me an idea of where where you're coming from. Well, and happy Veterans Day to Colin as well, and happy Marine Corps birthday, Semper Fi, stay green, Marine. That's what they used to say. Mm-hmm. Um, we appreciate you very much. Um, if you too would like to call, sound off, move the conversation forward with us. It is six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it. At dollamore.com, we would invite your participation. Moving on. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So, one way to know that I'm really fun and cool is that... There's only one way, or this is just one of many ways. It's it's one of many. (laughs) Is that I like listening to the Supreme Court oral arguments when they happen. And this I is not a joke. Play them on my phone like they're a podcast while I'm doing what I need to do. I will be down in the studio working and I will hear an echoey chamber with voices in it. Mm-hmm. And like, what in the hell is going on up there? This has happened multiple times. Yep. And I'll go up and it's you because there's no video of it. It's an audio feed listening to live arguments of the Supreme Court of these United States. And in this case, I think we're getting ready to talk about the case related to gun rights or the restriction of gun rights to people who have been convicted of uh, domestic violence. Yes, yes. So like I said, it's one of the ways you know I'm I'm cool and fun. It's right up there with me being in a bean club and how like taking naps are my favorite hobby. So <laughs> <laughs> I I selected three segments from this recent case that you just talked about, uh, Jesse. It's the U.S. versus Rahimi, and they're basically deciding whether to uphold a federal law that prohibits people under domestic violence restraining orders from owning firearms. Seems like a good thing to prohibit. Yes, Brittany Page, but that would be common sense. And this is the United States of America. <laughs> yeah. But so based on how the oral arguments went on Tuesday, experts are saying that it, it looks like the Supreme Court is going to uphold this federal law, which is great. 
Um, but that will pr- potentially limit the the scope of their gun rights ruling from last year. And the case last year is the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. And you're going to hear Bruin in some of these clips that we play. And that represents re- represented the widest expansion of gun rights in like a decade when the Supreme Court gave that ruling last year. And in that case, they struck down a New York gun law that was enacted a century ago that places restrictions on carrying a concealed handgun outside the home. And this has basically created a situation now where lower courts are analyzing all different kinds of gun restrictions in the country based on the historical understanding of a right to bear arms. So it's basically opened the door for gun rights activists to be like, okay, well, let's start looking at all these different gun restrictions under this new ruling and get all these gun restrictions lifted. So on Tuesday, the Solicitor General, Elizabeth Prelogger, who is absolutely incredible, amazing. Every time I listen to oral arguments, I am so amazed by her. Um, She basically made made the argument that this prohibition of certain people not being able to bear arms fits within a long tradition of disarming people who are considered dangerous to society. Now, this seems like obvious. Yeah. Obvious, but it's, it's sad that they need to find somewhere that it is rooted in tradition and history in order to implement it in 2023 like that's where we are yeah 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 the supreme court needs to find history and tradition imagine being in a position where you're fighting for the rights of someone who has a history of violence against other people uh marginalized groups weaker than them physically like like a partner and then wanting them to have access to deadly weaponry Wow. Enter J. Matthew Wright, Jesse D., because he's the attorney arguing against the Solicitor General, Elizabeth Prelogger. And we'll get into the client that he's representing, um, Zaki Rahimi, a Texas man who had a a no contact order or a, a domestic violence restraining order put into place after he was violent. And this first clip is going to be Ketanji Brown-Jackson, the newest Supreme Court justice, going back and forth with J. Matthew Wright, this attorney who, again, is arguing against the U.S., uh, going back and forth about what history and tradition means in this context, what is the history and tradition test, and you'll start to quickly understand why experts are starting to see that um, the Supreme Court is going to rule in the way that they should on this case. It sounds like they may still be on the table for some other person who's outside the political community. I say you don't look at them at all because, number one, they're awful. They're terrible laws. We should not uh, give credence to a suggestion that uh, a legislator in 1870 in the South, you know, we should, so we should not. But we have a history and traditions test. I, I guess I, I'm a little troubled by having a history and traditions test that also requires some sort of culling of the history so that only certain people history counts. So what do we do with that? Isn't that a flaw with respect to the test? Your Honor, I think what you do is the Bruin test starts with the text. And so ultimately, historical tradition, as I understand it, is something the court does 
to make sure its textual interpretation is correct and consistent with the original understanding of the amendment. So um, in the situation that you're describing, those laws, they were not uh, people who were part of the community. They never, they weren't seen as the people. And when these laws were challenged, including in this very court, that was the reason. Well, this court was not dealing with a disarmament law, but other laws that were targeted those groups. So does that mean only Reconstruction era as opposed to, uh, uh, sorry, only uh, foundational era as opposed to Reconstruction era sources are on the table here? For purposes of the Second Amendment as, and applied against the federal government, yes, absolutely. It is only uh, founding era sources and, and immediately after the founding era. So people who understood they were bound by that. Like, again, I don't see these two steps of Bruin as completely separate pieces. You know, you pass the text point and you move on. The court is trying to get at the meaning of the text, the original public meaning of the text. And in your view, with respect to domestic violence, are we looking for history and tradition in the Reconstruction era about how regulation was happening uh, in the circumstance of domestic violence or no? I mean, I the government says it can be done at the level of regulation of dangerous people with respect to firearms. Um, but you seem to be suggesting, and I think this is going back to a question that Justice Kagan asked, that what we're looking for is Reconstruction era sources, I suppose that applied to the regulation of white Protestant men related to domestic violence. Is that sort of the level that we are um, focused on when we're trying to find a history and tradition? No, Your Honor. I may not have been clear before. I think it's the founding era and not the Reconstruction era when we're talking about the, the federal I apologize. The founding era. And it has got to be the people, someone who is, would have been understood to be part of the people, a rights-holding citizen. Right. The people doing what, though? Do we drill down further and say it's the people, which in that case did not include all the people, but fine, we've identified the relevant people who are being regulated. Um, is it enough that they were being regulated with respect to just dangerousness or... Um, are we looking for a regulation uh, concerning this set of circumstances? It doesn't have. This is always. <laughs> so when I'm listening to this, I am often feeling frustrated because it's so strange that you're ta- you're in the year 2023 and you're talking about can people who are under a restraining order for domestic violence can they keep their weapons when they are dangerous? They are dangerous to society. They have done something dangerous to the point where they need to be placed under a restraining order in order to not go near the person that they have been violent toward. And we have to look to the founding era documents to find the root of history and tradition to see what it tells us about this issue. Why in God's name would we do that? And Katanji Brown-Jackson is very good on this, where she always brings up that only certain people were included in this history that yeah. they always want to go back to. It wasn't everybody, only certain people. Yeah, he, he, considered, he called them rights-holding persons. This, listen, when you go back to the founding of our country, especially the, the initial version of our Constitution, the Constitution of the United States, and then include the Amendments 1 through 10, only white land-owning men could vote. They were the rights-holding people. So it, other people didn't have rights. We weren't really a democracy until the full franchise had been realized by women and black people. Uh, it, 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 
it's egregious for him to make this argument. Second, sec, second point is one: he is a dumb dumb. He is not good at this <laughs> at all. He's so bad at it. But um, it's not just the rights holding thing. It's the fact that he's not making an argument, and uh, ostensibly he doesn't have a problem with someone's rights being curtailed relative to a no contact order, a restraining order. That is a curtailment of rights. It's curtailing uh, where you can go, with whom you can associate. That's not a problem. But apparently curtailing them just the next step to not allow them to have a deadly weapon is, oh my God, that's a bridge too far. Yeah. Well, and to really drive that point home, uh, Jesse, I want to talk about the person that is his client, Rahimi, the, the name of the case, U.S. versus Rahimi. Zach, Zaki Rahimi is is this person's name. And he had his, ex, his ex-partner his ex obtained a restraining order after an incident in Arlington, Texas, in a parking lot in 2019, where he hit his partner, dragged her to his car, pushed her inside, knocked her head on the dashboard, and fired a shot from his gun in the direction of a witness. Okay, this sounds like a dangerous person. Unhinged. Who should not have a weapon. Yeah. And there was actually a, a, a point, even while the protective order was in place, that he was implicated in a series of shootings, including one in which he allegedly fired bullets into a house using an AR-15. Okay, so this is an unhinged, dangerous person who should absolutely not have a weapon. There was a point in the exchange between the justices where Chief Justice John Roberts actually asked Rahimi's attorney, the guy that you just heard fumbling over his words, yeah, Katanji yeah. Brown-Jackson, uh, whether or not his client should be considered dangerous and he said that he would need really a definition of what <laughs> dangerous is i mean these are the people that we're dealing with yeah 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 so okay. just shameless lawyer shit yeah man. and it was not going well for him with anyone i mean there was a point where and we're going to play this now where elena kagan actually called him out and said listen you're running away from your own arguments there's definitely a tradition for restricting sale or provision of weapons to the mentally ill. The, the, all, the, all, the, all the examples that the government has cited are late. They're post-Civil War sources, I think, for that. Um, if not, so I think maybe is the answer to that I'll tradition. I'll tell you the honest truth, Mr. Wright. I feel like you're running away from your argument. Um, you know, because the implications of your argument are just so untenable that you have to say, no, that's not really my argument. I mean, it just seems to me that your argument applies to a wide variety of uh, uh, disarming uh, actions, bans, what have you, that, that we take for granted now because it's it's so obvious that uh, uh, people who have guns pose a great danger to others and you don't give guns to people who have the kind of history of domestic violence that your client has or to the mentally ill or what have you. So uh, I guess, uh, you know, I guess I'm asking you to clarify your argument because you seem to be running away from it because you can't stand what the consequences of it are. Your Honor, I am running away from interest balancing because I understand that that same sort of argument could have been made in Bruin, could have been made in Heller, could have been made in McDonald's, and in fact were made in all of those cases, right? Legislatures have made a judgment that it is dangerous to have people carrying weapons about. Legislature made a judgment it's dangerous for handguns specifically to be possessed. And the court didn't defer to those late or mid-20th century judgments or even early 20th century judgments about dangerousness in that scenario. Instead, the court said, we are going to follow our understanding of the original public meaning of the text and 
as illuminated by the historical tradition of firearms regulation at the margins. So I, I guess that's what I want to say is that if there's no such tradition, so if you couldn't, I'm supposing that we would find examples of people having firearms removed from them if they are in imminent danger to others. That historical record has not been built in this case because that's not the kind of law that we have. I do believe that it's there, and I could give some additional examples where I think we could find support for that. But if not, if there were no historical support for that, we would be left with what the text says, which is you have a right to keep arms. And so in that sense, that would that would end. <laughs> you have a right to keep arms. It, it's so it seriously is the most bizarre thing to me. The Second Amendment is a bizarrely poorly written phrase for the security of a free state, uh, the, the thing about the militias, and then the, the, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. There's a bunch of commas in there that don't make, make any sense and don't need to be there. It is, <clears throat> I, I just, I, uh, it is so confusing, one, that this guy is arguing before the Supreme Court of the United States, fumbling and bumbling and arguing his way out of his own argument, but... The other thing that I would really love to know more about, I wish I was more educated about the law in this way, is these, well, all of their arguments are late. They're like post-Civil War. Who decided <laughs> yeah. that the history of the United States only is the founding period right. relative to how we interpret the laws? They're just... It doesn't. It doesn't jibe. I don't get that. It's scary. Yeah, I mean, it's scary, especially when we're when we're talking about things like this. And and this attorney writes. He, you know, it, I I would get it if he was representing someone who like had been wrongfully accused or something, you know. But he's right. like representing someone who has actually assaulted more than one woman. Serial offender. So I, I just like, is this the best person to be like, and what does dangerous actually mean? And are we really overstepping and taking this man's gun away? I mean, like, no, we're not overstepping, dude. Like, yeah. please. But I know that I played only, we played only liberal justices, liberal justices, but Amy Coney Barrett joined the chorus of people who were like, dude, I don't, I am so confused. And can you imagine you're arguing before the Supreme Court and a justice says to you, I am so confused. Especially a conservative one like Amy Coney Barrett. Yes. I'll say this. If a, imagine a statute that had been written that was the what Zaki Rahimi has been accused of statute. And very prescient legislators, you know, way ahead of the game. If you have done all of these nine things and it's proven to a constitutionally significant uh, level of abstraction, you don't get to keep your gun. We're going to come and take it from you. And, and you just, sorry, you just don't constitutional 100 percent. i thought you just said no i thought you said there's no history of any kind of ban for anything that doesn't relate to felonies I, and, and, and i want to be clear that the there is no one that i've found anyway um i think it would stem from a court's either historical equitable powers or uh, you know the rights of the government to literally protect someone from imminent danger to life and limb uh, there are examples uh, some of the early Justice of the Peace manuals that talk about if you see someone who is on the way to commit a crime with a weapon, you can take the weapon away from them and you don't have to institute proceedings immediately. However, you do have to institute them pretty quick after that. I'm so confused because I thought your argument was that 
there was no history or tradition, as Justice Kagan just said, of this kind of, of disarmament in this circumstance. But now it kind of sounds like your objection is just to the process. Like, are you making Judge Ho's argument only? Uh, no, Your Honor, I'm not making Judge Ho's argument only. The, the law that's before us right now is a. <laughs> Do you love just hearing him panic? <laughs> when o- Amy Coney Barrett turns on you, look for a different job, dude. Also, he's referring to early justice of the pe- justices of the peace manuals. Like, how do they do their job? Like, is that from the founding era, justice of the peace? It, is that from the early founding? What a muddled argument. What a terrible representative for this particular uh, ideological stance. What a terrible candidate. What a terrible client to bring this case before the Supreme Court. Gun rights experts and gun rights advocates have to be very, very disappointed. Yeah, I mean, thank God it went this way, you know. And I mean, I think it just speaks to Elena Kagan's point, which is that it's so untenable what he's arguing that yeah. there's no real way to argue it effectively. So, like, he, I mean, he's just kind of set up to lose because what he's trying to say is not tenable. Well, also, it's not just ten- not tenable relative. I mean, here, here's here's the overarching theme here, is that the right. Their zero tolerance um, restrictions on gun rights, their their um, Second Amendment absolutism. This is where it will lead. This is what they want. They want dangerous individuals to be able to possess, keep and possess weapons, use them unrestricted. That's the country they want. They want the fucking Wild West or the Wild Colonial Period because that's the only part of America that matters. It's it's crazy, but it doesn't just um, portend for how they want the country to run relative to guns. It's also everything else. It's it, it's abortion rights. It's rolling back um, bodily autonomy. It's just it's a dangerous country that they want to form. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's rare, it, unless you're, you know, a sad loser like me, that you hear in <laughs> you're depth. You're a happy loser. You're a happy loser where you hear in-depth uh reporting on the oral arguments and you actually get to hear from the justices themselves and i mean this these were an hour and a half long or something so it's you know it's a lot of time and dedication but i felt like this was a really important case so we needed to talk about it but uh i think now we can get into the election results in ohio and we're gonna uh play some clips of fox news not being able to handle it but first we just want to kind of zoom out and talk about how well things did go on election day Abortion rights advocates in Ohio erupted in celebration Tuesday night after the state voted to protect access to the procedure. I was crying tears of complete joy and shock and just overwhelmed. I was just overwhelmed that we can actually affect change. The past amendment called Issue 1 guarantees a woman's right to an abortion in the state's constitution. It allows for the procedure until fetal viability, usually around the 23rd week, but also makes exceptions for the mother's health. The impact of passing Issue 1 will be felt throughout the state and for generations and generations to come. Since Roe v. Wade was overturned more than a year ago, abortion rights supporters have now prevailed in all seven states where the issue was on the ballot. The Supreme Court wanted to kick it back to the states. We have taken on that mantle. 
Despite the loss, groups that oppose abortion rights vowed to continue their fight. We stand ready during this unthinkable time to advocate for women and the unborn just as we have always done. Ohio was the only state with abortion directly on the ballot, but future access will also be impacted by Tuesday's results in other places. Control for Virginia's state legislature was up for grabs as Republicans who were pushing for a 15-week abortion ban failed to flip the state Senate and lost control of the House of Delegates. Well, that didn't turn out exactly how I wanted it to. And in Kentucky's gubernatorial election, the state's attorney general, Daniel Cameron, endorsed by former President Donald Trump, was defeated by Democratic incumbent Andy Bashir. Tonight... Kentucky made a choice. A choice not to move to the right or to the left, but to move forward for every single family. Ohio's issue one will take effect in Ohio next month. President Biden praised the amendment's passage, saying voters rejected attempts to, quote, impose extreme abortion bans that put the health and lives of women in jeopardy. Anne-Marie. It was a good night, absolutely. Um, It is remarkable to me that Republicans are absolutely ignoring or blind to the fact that this is all of their own doing. Daniel Cameron, endorsed by Donald Trump, got worked in a ruby red state. But they, they're, they're, they're dedicated to the prospect of Donald Trump being their golden god that they need to follow, even though it's leading them to ruin. It's leading them down the path of destruction. The same on the abortion issue. They don't want to hear it. They refuse to accept that the vast majority of Americans are standing for the right to access bodily autonomy and health care. They refuse. Virginia... It was the abortion issue that led uh, Democrats to a resounding victory, uh, maintaining the Senate, taking back the state assembly. And Republicans, they're, again, either blind or wishful thinking is all they've got. I I don't get it. Right. And after the debate, actually, Tim Scott was interviewed by Dana Bash, and he tried to say that this Ohio um, issue one made it so you can have an abortion up until the baby is born or whatever the Republicans always try to Which say. Which is, there's a limit. It, it's like 25 weeks, 15 weeks? It's it's the viability limit. Yeah. Right. And, and so that's around 20 weeks. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it is a bummer that there's viability language in it. I'm, I'm not going to say that it's bad because obviously we're happy to have abortion be protected. Yes. Um, but No I, more... 10-year-old rape victims will have to travel to Indiana to get an abortion. Yeah, it's just ideally there wouldn't be viability language, and that's really um, a Republican talking point because uh, 1% of abortions occur at 21 weeks and beyond, and it's because of health reasons. Say say that again. It's important. 1%. 1% of abortions take 
place after 21 weeks. 21 weeks or beyond. 1%. Yeah. So this is not something that is common. It's very expensive. It's for serious reasons. And so Republicans try to act like it's just like a flippant thing. Like, oh yeah, someone decided at 40 weeks to, you right, know. Right, right. Oh, I'm 38 weeks pregnant. Oh, you want to go on vacation? No, I'm pregnant. You know what? I'll just go get an abortion. Right. That's not how it works. Exactly. Yeah. And like I said, the uh, Republicans in Ohio, they actually released a press release and the title of it is Deceptive Ohio Issue 1 Misled the Public But Doesn't Repeal Our Laws. And they say Ohio legislators will be introducing several bills to address this issue in the coming weeks. They give several reasons. One of them is they say uh, foreign billionaires don't get to make Ohio laws. This is foreign election interference and it will not stand. Uh, Another Republican, Issue 1 doesn't repeal a single Ohio law. In fact, it doesn't even mention one. The amendment's language is dangerously vague and unconstrained and can be weaponized to attack parental rights or defend rapists, pedophiles, and human traffickers. So, so constitutional amendments, the Second Amendment, let's say, the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, they also don't mention laws. They just tell you what's enshrined and what rights are protected in that document. They don't have to mention laws you obscuring dipshits. Yeah, and then another Republican said, no amendment can overturn the God-given rights with which we are born. Oh, praise! So, um... Yeah, I mean, they they couldn't stop it, even though they tried many different ways, and the people have spoken, and now they are still trying to prevent it from happening. But don't worry, they won't win. I I don't think they will win. And... Well, this, this issue wasn't just an Ohio issue. It wasn't just a Virginia issue. This issue was front and center, even in the Kentucky campaign, where Andy Beshear won, again, decidedly against the Trump-picked candidate. Yes, and Hadley Duvall was a a huge part of that. She is a 21-year-old, and she appeared in one of Andy Beshear's re-election campaign videos and called out his opponent, Daniel Cameron, specifically. And he actually, Andy Beshear, in his uh, speech where he thanked everyone, um, he thanked Hadley Duvall specifically for her appearance in that ad. And just to refresh your memory, we want to play that ad for you. I was raped by my stepfather after years of sexual abuse. I was 12. Anyone who believes there should be no exceptions for rape and incest could never understand what it's like to stand in my shoes. This is to you, Daniel Cameron. To tell a 12-year-old girl she must have the baby of her stepfather who raped her is unthinkable. I'm speaking out because women and girls need to have options. Daniel Cameron would give us none. A tragic story. Horrifying. Thankfully, she had the strength and the willingness to share her story uh, for the benefit of other people seeking abortions who might not otherwise be able to have them. Absolutely. I admire her so much. Now, we played this, I think we played this on the show before. We did. Um, But we we have a clip here that was difficult to get, but we have a clip here of a news package from back in... Months and months and months ago. I think it was last year. And it describes more about what her story is. It's the news there in Kentucky interviewing her and talking to her about what took place. And it really, it needs to be known because this is what Republicans are trying to have be kind of the norm in America. And this is going to get... um 
pretty specific related to some trauma and abuse language. So if you are not in the mood to hear that, just, you know, skip the next three minutes. Law on abortion is in effect in Kentucky, and it happened as the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. But the Kentucky law does not include exceptions for victims of incest and rape. Tonight, we're sharing a tough story. A woman's childhood sexual abuse. WBKN News does not typically identify rape or sexual abuse victims, but Hadley Duval wanted to share her story. We want to warn you, some of these details might be difficult to hear for those who have experienced similar trauma. WBKN News reporter Lauren Floyd brings you the story of a 20-year-old girl who is grateful that eight years ago she had a choice. I was in seventh grade, like I didn't know what to do. Hadley Duval was an innocent 12-year-old when she learned she was pregnant. Her stepfather raped her, later pleading guilty and serving prison time. I asked him why he was doing what he was doing, and he manipulated me and told me that this is normal and that this is love and that that's what love is. So that's what I believed. Now, at 20 years old, Duval is telling her story of the years of sexual abuse starting when she was five, continuing for years, leading to that pregnancy. I missed my period one month, and I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't even know what to do. So I told him. I told my stepdad, and he was like, well, I'm going to have to come check you out of school one day when you're, just pretend like you're sick, and I'll check you out, and we'll go get a test. So that's what we did. And they were positive, and I had no idea what to do. She eventually miscarried. That was painful, and I was alone for that, and I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't go get any medical attention. And now, years later, I'm to the point now to where I will speak out because I've been sitting on it for so long, and I'm starting to grow up, and if I don't do it, I don't know who will. When the Roe v. Wade decision came down, Duval's thoughts went to the little girls who were going through similar traumatic events like she did. Here in Kentucky, an abortion can only be performed to save the life of the mother or child. And as of now, there is no exception for rape or incest. I don't understand how somebody could look at a little girl and tell them, oh, you were raped. Well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to carry the baby. Or, you know, watch what you wear. Like, it doesn't work like that. She says the decision to get an abortion isn't black or white. She points to the many factors that could play in a woman's decision. Who gives you the power to do that? Who decides what is black and what is white? Who decides what the gray area is? And it's like you have to think about all these girls who have pregnancies that go wrong or who are not mentally or physically ready to carry a child or to take care of a child. You know, like you don't know their relationship situation. They could have come from abuse. Like, you just don't know. As the country grapples with the Supreme Court ruling and lawmakers deciding whether abortion will be legal in their states, Duval says she is just getting started using her voice and sharing her story. I am going to use my power to help all the people that I used to be. And whenever they're ready, they need to use their voice and they need to never look back at you. In Owensboro, Lauren Floyd, WBKO News. So I just think she's so inspiring and 
It is a powerful story. She's using it in a way that is going to change people's lives. And I'm I'm glad that she got a specific shout out from Andy Bashir because her appearing in that ad, I'm sure, moved the needle for a yeah. lot of people who maybe were on the fence and and she's she's doing a lot of good with her story. She's also asking very poignant worthy questions. Like who decides what what's black who decides um what's black and white i mean unfortunately in kentucky especially the people who are deciding are a vast majority of white men republicans they get to decide same with idaho these groups that are that are funded and strategy is being compiled by a bunch of dudes to control women it is it's remarkable but you know the good thing is the good news is largely people are on board i mean really it the percentages are wild that people are absolutely in support of women's right to choose what you know it's between them and their doctor not them and the legislature mm-hmm. so th- that's that's a good thing there first actually we'll drop the phone number 657-464 7609. We'd love to hear from you. You can also email, I doubt it, at dollamore.com. The other thing <laughs> that's happening, and it makes me so happy that there's so much cope going on. I'm not one to talk about, uh, uh, the Republican tears, yum, 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 yum. But man, there is a whole bunch of that going on right now, all across the right wing media spectrum of uh, them just not being able to wrap their brains around it. Uh, and that includes, of course, Fox News. Our favorite, Ainsley Earhart, who... Wait, wait, wait. Ainsley Earhart. What about the majority? Because I'm so tired of protecting the minority. That's that's her. (laughs) Uh, They're starting to reveal what their true priorities are. And I really, this is is a clip that you should save. And you should, like, play it at the Thanksgiving table. I mean, like... (laughs) This is something this is, you're you're going to want to save this clip of Ainsley Earhart making it clear what her values are when it comes to abortion was extremely yeah. or very important and only 32 percent said that it was moderate or not important there. it's nearly seven in ten republicans have to figure out what their messaging is like brian was saying in order to go forward in the next election we looked at this midterm election as a way to um, gauge how republicans or how democrats react going forward for right. 2024 so republicans need to look at all of these numbers and really think about what's more important right. yes it's it, um, most people that are republicans are probably pro-life and we love our babies and i love being a mother but what's most important Mm -hmm. republicans taking over and republicans being able to to keep our country well the other (laughs) yeah we love our babies but we need republicans in power yeah we love our babies and our children and we are pro-life praise jesus uh, but eh, we need Republicans in office. <laughs> but what's more important, having Republicans <laughs> in power. I mean, that really, if they believed, if they believed that abortion was murder, that yes. when people have abortions, they are murdering a baby. Yeah. 
She would not be saying that. If she actually believed that was true, she would not be saying what she Nothing said. else would be more important than saving the lives of literal babies that are being slaughtered by the tens of thousands and millions. Yeah, so you're welcome for providing the public service at your Thanksgiving debate. And also, thank you. Ainsley Earhart. What about the majority? The majority tired of protecting the minority. It wasn't just Ainsley Earhart, though. Of course, Brian Kilmeade and Steve Ducey. Sorry, Peter Ducey. It's a lot of nepo stuff happening over there. So, (laughs) uh, Steve Ducey had to get in on the action as well. Is important is they didn't message crime, they didn't message the border. They have not touched the inner city. So whatever uh, people are, however the mayors are failing, however the issues are falling short, how the whether it's uh, the bail reform or whether it's uh, the lack of police officers on the street, nothing was emphasized or matters as much as that. Or people are just staying home. The Republicans have a lot to work with. They're just not working with it. Well, but ultimately it comes down to the Democrats. Democrats have a really potent issue, and that is abortion, because, you know, ever since Roe v. Wade was overturned, pretty much every time the Democrats have run on abortion, they have won. And here's the bad, you know, and was last night a harbinger for 2024, as you were uh, alluding to, Ainsley? Absolutely. You know why? Because uh, there are opponents and proponents uh, trying to put abortion rights on the ballots in the states of Florida, Nevada, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. So it's going to be... You know, if you're a Republican running in those states, you're going to have a tough 2024. So what did you hear the mask slip? Did you see the mask slip a little bit? Here's the bad news. Oh, I, I can't. I'm a journalist. It's not bad news. It's just the way it is. Which is strange because you just heard Ainsley say the most important thing is getting Republicans into positions of yeah, power. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. like the fact that they still try to act like they are journalists or they're hosting a show and they're just like trying to report the news. That's clearly not happening. They're like, here's the strategy for the Republican Party. Here's also interesting point. Here's also interesting point. Great. Good times. <laughs> um, Kilmeade, it's... The racist language, it's not even coded. I mean, he's just like, they didn't even talk about the inner cities. That's code for black people. Like, just Why aren't they making black people an issue in the campaigns? Why aren't Republicans really hammering down on minorities and oppressed populations? That's the winning message. Just, goddamn, dude. Yeah, well, it's what the people who are watching Fox and Friends in the morning want to hear. So he's appealing to them. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> I mean, Fox News... Is dangerous is the the white nationalist network absolutely it is the the network of uh, election interference and voter suppression it is the worst um, and it's sometimes there are moments like this that are just so brazen that it becomes entertaining uh, we would invite your participation about this particular topic six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine of course you can absolutely email us um, I doubt it at Dollamore. So we are going to end the show by having a lot of fun because I, I came, love fun. I came across this this ad from, and you may have to help me with the pronunciation here. Kootenai, Kootenai County. Kootenai. It's Kootenai County, Idaho, which yes. is where Coeur d'Alene. It's up north. It's uh, adjacent to the border where, like Spokane, Washington is. Kootenai. Yes, and so North Idaho, where there is a a lot of white supremacist, white power activity, and... It's where Aryan Nation, you know, used to be uh, in Idaho. Hayden Lake is where it used to be. Still, 
steeped in radicalism. It's where a lot of people who are separatists and militia types are moving in droves right now to Kootenai County in northern Idaho to what's called the Redoubt. It's a, it's a bizarre thing that's happening there. Yeah, so the, the Kootenai County Republican organization decided to create this ad because there's been an ongoing attack on libraries, community library board elections. Yeah. And so they created this ad. This is from May, but I was watching a news package, I think from MSNBC, and they played part of this ad, and I... I swear, I almost did a spit take. Like, I was drinking my coffee. I think the audience will, too. I almost did a spit take because it was so absurd. So this is an ad that they put out um, to basically show people that their young children are at risk of being exposed to sexually explicit material in libraries. Hey, Mom. I'm home. Hi, honey. I'm in the kitchen. How are you today? How was school? We went to the library today, and there's a special room for kids. And this funny lady, she uh, read us a book, and she showed us all the pictures in the book. The lady gave me a hug, but I could feel her face was really scratchy, like Dad's face. Oh? What was the book about? Oh, it was about moms and dads. And there were kids and stuff doing things like kissing each other, and some of them didn't have any clothes on. Oh my. Mommy? Yes, honey. What's anal sex? (laughs) (laughs) She dropped the (laughs) dish. The plate breaks. Our library boards have allowed for adult materials to be displayed in the children's sections. Visit cleanbooksforkids.com to see for yourself. Time for new leadership. Vote May 16th for Tim Plass and Tom Hanley to protect our children's innocence. The horror music continues. Yeah. It, it, I mean, listen, this is something they spent money on. This Paid is a, by the Kootenai a, County Republican Central Committee. The Kootenai County Republican Central Committee. This, this, is, this is well-produced, high-production value, uh... They're really going all in. And it is just absurd scare tactics. So crazy. Well, I love that the, like, I mean, what is, what is the fear that they're getting at here? It's like they have to parent, you know? Like, oh, no, my child asked about sex, and now I have to talk about it with them. I well, don't. It's also like if you don't let your kid go to the library alone if it's so dangerous that they might learn uh, things that you don't like. There's all kinds of... It's the same argument that was made back in the 90s when Tipper Gore was going crazy about rock music and needing a parental advisory label on things. And conservatives then, because that was Al Gore's wife, they're like, well, if you don't like it, don't don't, uh, don't buy it for them. Don't let them listen. There, there's no personal responsibility related to this. It's just everything else. Yeah, and of course, like always happens, media reached out to them and they said, hey, can you tell us which books are depicting anal sex for kids, you know, in the children's section? And they said, go look at the Clean Books website that we referenced. And so they did. And they <laughs> saw that there were books that are actually categorized at the library for Teens and young adults, not right. kids. And they are things like, let's talk about it. The Teen's Guide to Sex, Relationships, and Being Human. 
So, right, right. you know, like the, these are the Mommy, books they're talking about. Yeah. What's anal sex? <laughs> Why are you reading teenage books, daughter? What a creepy person who did that voice, <laughs> by the way. I want to know who did that voice. But this reminded me of one of our favorite bits on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> we are huge fans of Sarah Sherman. Oh, my God. So funny. <laughs> Everything that she does on Weekend Update is amazing. But she, she, created a character I guess with writers of which is kind of a take on like moms for liberty and these same types of people who are opposed to um, children's books and libraries and in this case Peppa Pig yeah so she's the the president of the Peppa Pig fan club I think and you're gonna you're gonna quickly see the parallels between this skit and the ad that we just played for you it was announced that it was announced that kids cartoon Peppa Pig will introduce a same-sex polar bear couple to its cast of characters. Here to talk about it is a very upset president of the Peppa Pig fan club, Trish Dale. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I understand you. I understand you're pretty upset about this new addition to the show. Upset. I'm mad as H-E single city single K. Wow, you, you spell it out, huh? You spell out heck? Okay, that's uh... Michael, you may think I'm overreacting, but parents who love Peppa Pig should get to choose what kind of thing their kids see. Well, what are the characters like? Well, it's a polar bear girl with two daddies, and one's a doctor, and one stays home and makes spaghetti. Well, I think that actually sounds kind of cute. Yeah, it is. It is cute. Until they anally enter each other. What? Come on, Michael. Sure, in the first episode, they make spaghetti. But you know as soon as those plates are cleared, they're anally entering each other. And one is a doctor, so he knows just where it goes. I don't think that's going to happen on the show. Oh, I know. They'll do something innocent, like teach Peppa how to ride a bike. Well, that's nice. And then once Peppa has the hang of it, they'll say, you got this, girl. And then they go behind a bush and anal the end each other. Trish, I think the show is just reflecting that gay people exist and that it's just a part of life. It's not a part of life. It hurts. <laughs> what does? I try. <laughs> to find out if it hurts and it hurts and they're polar bears so you know it's like this big <laughs> imagine that in you yeah, Trish I think you need to calm down I can't I can't I've tried everything I've tried meditation poppers oh. and, <laughs> and there's another episode where oh, Trish please there's another episode Trish. Trouble with her math homework. So the bigger polar bear, the more masculine one, <laughs> says, Hey, let's go upstairs and get our calculator. But then they never come back. And you want to know why? Do you want to know what they were doing up there, Michael? Anally entering each other? <laughs> Showering. Oh, okay. To get ready to anally enter the process. How do you know that? I Googled it. I spent all day Googling all this stuff because it's sick. Well, then don't let your kids watch. I don't have kids anymore. Anymore? <laughs> they grew up, and I don't know where they are. This is all in your head. The show will never show any of that. And that's why I animated my own, so everyone can see exactly 
exactly what I'm talking about. Oh. The, the big one is the bottom. That's good. <laughs> That's the twist. Okay. I, I, I'm sorry. I hate, I hate to interrupt. <laughs> Who are you? It's okay. It's okay. I, I actually watched this show, and it's, it's two polar bear mommies, not two daddies. What? What is that? Now I have to Google that? No, no, no. It, it's, it's like a... So it's just mashing and mushing? Oh, that's fine. I've done it. Take your papers and hurry. Trish Dale, everybody. Very, very funny. But also, it provided us a new drop. Until they anally enter each other. <laughs> oh, my God. These people, I mean, that's hilarious. But really, this is why comedy is so powerful, because it does point a light, shine a light on exactly how unhinged these people are. Yes. That every little innocuous thing is made to be a, a threat, an existential threat to their children when all you got to do is parent your kids. If you don't want them reading certain material, whatever it is, you just don't let them do it. Well, and it reveals the inherent truth of a lot of these people, which is that they are like consumed by it, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and for for whatever reason, and we see that a lot with like Republicans that are arrested for certain offenses that they oppose, whether that be underage activity yeah, look, or I know it's not exclusively... sexual activity with the opposite or the, the same sex. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know it's not exclusively Republicans, but it sure seems exclusively Republicans who get busted. And when I say uh, arrested for sexual activity with the same sex, I'm thinking of like uh, Larry Craig, who was arrested. In, in Minnesota, in, in a in a in a in a in an airport bathroom, right, right, a Republican, an anti-gay legislator who ended up being gay. Yeah, yeah. It's just repression, and then they can't just be who they are. And I guess they want to go the extra mile being anti-gay to prove how anti-gay they are, or prove how not gay they are. I, who knows? Yeah. So what we do know is we love Sarah Sherman. Yes. We love national everything. treasure. You heard it here first. She should be protected at all costs. Yes. And if you were listening to the audio only of that, it is worth going to actually watch the video. And I watch it probably once a week. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. That is going to be it for us. We love you guys. We appreciate you. We're going to leave you there. We would invite you to become a patron, helping produce this content, bringing Sher Sarah Sherman to more of the masses than than uh, Saturday Night Live does. Uh, we certainly love her. Go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast and there you can pick your tier become a chat uh, become a, a patron and uh, help support our work and if you become a patron by the end of the year you'll get the end of the year patreon thank you gift um, we'd love to hear from you 657-464-7609 email us I doubt it at dollamore.com and we will see you next time until then on episode 893 I'm Jesse Dollamore this is Brittany Page. This has been I Doubt.